Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What were some of the things that Joseph Smith taught in his King Follett Discourse? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. With the power of God in great glory, a conference message given by Mormon apostle David A. Bedner. He has underneath it 1 Nephi 14.14 and then a subheading, Honoring Covenants Arms Us with Righteousness and with the Power of God in Great Glory. In yesterday's show, we were reading through his talk where he gets to the point where he mentions a sermon given by Joseph Smith on April 7, 1844. He says that he delivered this message that is known today as the King Follett Discourse. Now, he only zeroes in on one little aspect of the King Follett Discourse, and that is where Joseph Smith claimed that the greatest responsibility in the world that God has laid upon us is to seek after our dead. And he tries to explain, and I think more properly explain away, this apparent statement with another statement made by Joseph Smith on April 6, 1837, where he said, after all that has been said, the greatest and most important duty is to preach the gospel. Of course, the context for that 1837 statement is preaching the gospel to the living. That's the most important duty. And then when he cites the King Follett Discourse, Joseph Smith says that going to seek after your dead is the greatest responsibility in this world. But he taught a lot more in the King Follett Discourse. And yesterday, I brought up Deuteronomy chapter 13 in the Old Testament that speaks of a warning to the people of Israel about people who come forth introducing a God that they did not know. Certainly, the King Follett Discourse and Joseph Smith's teaching regarding God puts him in the category of a false prophet, a man that should not be believed or trusted when it comes to the theology of God or really any other kind of theology. Because once you preach a false doctrine of God, the Bible tells us not to be afraid of an individual like that. Who cares what threats he may give us? He's not a true spokesman for the Almighty. Yesterday, Bill, I read from the April 1971 Ensign Magazine where the LDS Church did a two-part series on that sermon and incited the whole thing. But this is what they said. The account of the talk noted was that it was the funeral sermon for Elder King Follett, a close friend of the prophets who had been killed in an accident on March 9th. So that's the purpose of the sermon. Longhand notes of the discourse were made by Willard Richards, Wilford Woodruff, Thomas Bullock, and William Clayton. And this reprint was taken from the documentary History of the Church, volume 6, pages 302 to 317. How do we know, Bill, that what is reported here is actually what Joseph Smith said. Well, because you had these four men that were writing it down, and all we need to do is go back and compare what their notes have to say. And by looking at those notes, we can put this thing together and have a pretty good understanding of what Joseph Smith actually said. 
So when we hear people say, well, it wasn't copied down accurately, and even Joseph Fielding Smith is going to say that in his rendition of the King Follett Discourse found in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. You can find this beginning on page 342. But I think what we should do is let's look specifically at what Joseph Smith, for instance, says about God. Because if he is teaching a false understanding of God, then, folks, he cannot possibly be a true prophet. I don't care how big the church is. I don't care how wealthy their church is. I don't care how much influence it may have on the earth. If it was founded by a false prophet, it's founded by a false prophet. And hailing him as a true prophet would certainly be wrong. But on page 345 in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, under the subheading of God, an exalted man, this is what Joseph Smith said. I will go back to the beginning before the world was to show what kind of a being God is. What sort of a being was God in the beginning? Open your ears and hear all ye ends of the earth, for I am going to prove it to you by the Bible and to tell you the designs of God in relation to the human race and why he interferes with the affairs of man. God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. If the veil were rent today, and the great God who holds this world in its orbit, and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power, was to make himself visible, I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves in all the person, image, and very form as a man. For Adam was created in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God, and received instruction from, and walked, talked, and conversed with him, as one man talks and communes with another. Let me tackle that last portion first, because he's going to use the argument that God was once a man, and he uses the word image. Obviously, this is a reference back to Genesis one twenty six. Let us make man in our image. And we've talked about this before on the show, but it it bears repeating. Joseph Smith kind of spills the beans on that. We can't assume that this is talking about God having a body of flesh and bones. And this is why. Because when you look at the Joseph Smith translation, if you if you go back to Genesis one twenty six, it says, And I, God, made the beasts of the earth after their kind, cattle after their kind, everything which creeps upon the earth after his kind. And I, God, saw that all things were good. And I, God, said unto mine only begotten, which was with me from the beginning, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And it was so. Clearly, the conversation going on in Genesis one twenty six in our Bibles, and you'll notice when I read 26 from Joseph Smith's translation, quote unquote, it didn't read the same. That happens sometimes. Sometimes the verses are not exactly the same. But clearly, what we learn from verse 27 is that in this conversation, God, Elohim, is having a conversation with his only begotten. Now, you ask any Latter-day Saint, at that time, when this is supposedly happening, did Jesus have a body of flesh and bones? Mormons who know their doctrine would say, no, he never had a body of flesh and bones until his incarnation, when he was born in Bethlehem. So how do you assume that the word image here is talking about a body of flesh and bones when at least 50% of the two that seem to be in this conversation does not have a body of flesh and bones at that time. In other words, you're you're making a huge leap in logic, and logic that certainly is not logical. If that be the case, 
then we cannot say that the word image there is talking about a body of flesh and bones because Jesus, who, according to Joseph Smith, was a part of this conversation, did not have a body of flesh and bones at the time this conversation is going on. Now, let me go back to what he says earlier in that portion. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. Again, this is a blasphemous statement on the part of Joseph Smith. God himself was as we are now. How would you describe, Eric, as we are now? Now, I know they're trying to make the connection, well, we have a body of flesh and bones, and that means that God must have a body of flesh and bones. But aren't we a little bit more than just our physical body of flesh and bones? Aren't we also sinful creatures? And are we going to assume that if God himself was once as we are now, that he was actually a sinner? Now, the Latter-day Saints don't go into that kind of detail, but it certainly seems to open the door for that, because if God, in fact, was a human being, now you have to answer the question, how did he get there as a human being? Who was in charge of everything that was created at that time, if it's not this God, because this God is like us? We certainly don't have the power to run the universe. We certainly don't have the power to create. We don't have the power to sustain life as God sustains life. But yet this is what Joseph Smith was teaching, that he was once as we are now and is an exalted man. If he was a man as we are and he died as we are all going to die, how was he resurrected? How did he eventually become the God that he is now? So you see, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And quite frankly, I think the LDS doctrine of eternal progression is one of the more convoluted, nonsensical concepts I have ever heard. But Smith goes on to say, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. Well, an obvious question arises. How would this audience imagine and suppose that God was God from all eternity? Obviously, they either got it from Psalm 90, verse 2 in the Bible, or maybe they got it from Moroni 8.18 in the Book of Mormon. For I know that God is not a partial God, neither a changeable being, but he is unchangeable from all eternity to all eternity." That statement seems to rule out this idea that God himself was once as we are now. According to the Book of Mormon, that can't be. According to Psalm 90, verse 2, which basically says the same thing, it wouldn't make sense to assume that God was not God from all eternity. But yet, Joseph Smith says, you may have imagined that, you may have supposed that God was God from all eternity— but he's going to refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. And he's going to come up with this idea, of course, that God was once a man. Not only Moroni 8.18, but Doctrine and Covenants section 20, verse 17 says, By these things we know that there is a God in heaven who is infinite and eternal from everlasting to everlasting, the same unchangeable God, the framer of heaven and earth and all things which are in them. See, that last part of the verse, I think, really clinches it, because even in Mormonism, they believe that even we as human beings are eternal creatures, that we always existed from eternity as some sort of intelligence of some sort. But when it says that he's the same unchangeable God, the framer of heaven and earth, 
Now that shows that he is eternally God, not that he became God at a particular point in time. But Smith goes on in this section to say these are incomprehensible ideas to some, but they are simple. Simple? Well, they're unbiblical, that's for sure. He says, It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another. First of all, we don't need God to be a former human being to be able to do that. We can converse with God without this idea that he was once a man like us. Yea, he says, that God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did, and I will show it from the Bible. Now, of course, every false teacher wants to show what they believe and are teaching from the Bible. And this is where I think it becomes problematic, because even though Smith will oftentimes try to cite the Bible to support his position, he doesn't cite it well. And I would even argue that David Bedner, when he's trying to use that word priesthood, when it comes to Moroni talking to Joseph Smith about Elijah the prophet, behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood. I don't think he's using verses very well either, because he's ignoring, as we've said, the King James Version, which they use as their official text. He's ignoring the Book of Mormon. And he's also ignoring Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. And yet he much rather would go with this rendition that Joseph Smith gives in 1838 because that word priesthood gets thrown in there. That would not be a good way to understand a passage. In other words, to take the minority verse as opposed to three others that you would think Latter-day Saints would respect as well. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.